Oh, good morning, church. Welcome to Lake Hills. It is great to see you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship together. Let's have some fun. Let's sing of who our God is. Come on. There's a song in my spirit. There's a joy in my soul. Come what will, come what may. I'll worship anyway. Oh, the devil can try.
Awesome, guys. Hey, it is great to see you here this morning on VBS Week here at Lake Hills Church. We got VBS starting tomorrow. Uh, obviously, you can tell the room looks a little different. We're excited about this. A uh, bunch of kids going to be here tomorrow morning kicking off VBS Week, learning about Jesus on their level. We're really excited about that. Excited to be joining with you in worship this morning as well. Uh, before we continue, why don't you turn to somebody next to you? Welcome somebody to church this morning.
Awesome, guys. Hey, you can take a seat for just a quick couple of minutes because today we have the opportunity to, to celebrate what it is that we were just singing about, the ultimate battle that Jesus has won on our behalf. And we're gonna do this through communion together this morning. And what communion is, is this is a symbolic meal that we share together, much like the meal that Jesus would have shared with his disciples uh, in the upper room for the Last Supper. And it consists of bread that represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us and the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for us. And what we're doing during this time of communion is we are having a moment where we are reflecting, we're remembering, we're honoring, we are commemorating that sacrifice that Jesus made for us on our behalf that gives us eternal life. And the Bible actually says a couple of things about this that we wanna make sure that we observe today. The first is that this time is intended for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. And so if that's you and you've had a moment in your life where you have given ownership of your life to him, then this is a time for you. We'd love to invite you to participate in this. And if you haven't made that decision yet, uh, one, we wanna say that we're so glad that you're here and you can just let the communion elements pass you by as they go down the road. And the second thing that the Bible asks of us as we approach communion is to make sure that we have a moment of reflection. To one, think about that sacrifice that Jesus made for us and what that means for us but also to think about how we are approaching communion in our own hearts. This is a great opportunity for, for repentance, for reflection, make sure that there's no sin that exists, that we are coming to the communion table clean. And so we're gonna give you a moment to do that here in just a minute. Uh, the ushers can go ahead and, and come forward. You'll notice when you get to the communion elements, they come together. There's a, a top layer that you've gotta peel off for the bread that's on top and then the uh, cup, there's another layer underneath for that. Uh, when you receive them, just hold them on to them and I will jump up here in a few minutes to instruct us on taking these together. But as the ushers go ahead and pass, let's take a moment of reflection before the Lord this morning. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. He said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together.
the same way he also took the cup and he gave thanks for it, he said, take this and drink in remembrance of me. Let's stand together this morning as we continue with what we just observed in communion as we sing about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Let's worship together. Jesus Christ who calls the dead to life Call me from my guilty tomb With a word he rolled stone
are this morning. We worship you as king today. We give you all the praise. In your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Thanks for joining with us. You can take a seat. Is this it? Have I gotten the grand have you learned today that would make you think that this room appears exactly the way it is? I did it! I won! Sometimes the best way to feel under control is to let go of control. Good morning, Lake Hills Church. My name is Whitney, and we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. If you would do us a quick favor and pass your communion cups to the end of the row, that would help us tremendously. While you're doing that, take a look around, and as you can see, things are looking very exciting here in Worley's Candy Factory. Tomorrow morning, we kick off VBS, and we could not be more pumped because we will have over 900 kids, students, and adults in this room. They'll be learning learning about Jesus through worship, through Bible stories, through um, games, service projects, and my personal favorite, snacks. This is one of the ways, one of the biggest ways that we serve our community. So we would love if you would join us in praying for fun, for safety, and for lives to be changed by the good news of Jesus. And the really exciting thing is VBS is just the kickoff of all the fun things to happen this summer because we have men's and women's Bible studies, we have overnight camps for elementary, middle school, high school students, big summer blowouts for our middle school and high school students, and more. In fact, there's too much to cover, so make sure you scan the QR card in the seat back in front of you to see a list of all of our summer festivities. Now, we are so grateful for this church, for your faithfulness in praying, for the giving of your time as you serve throughout the summer, and the bringing of your tithes and offerings. It never ceases to amaze me that God doesn't need us, but God chooses to use us and allows us to participate in growing the community of Christ one life at a time. Now, if you have not yet taken that next step, summer is the perfect time to do that jump into a Bible study, check out a serving area, or begin giving by scanning the QR card in the seat back in front of you, or by dropping your offerings off in person um, in the giving boxes on your way out. Again, thank you for being a church that prays, that serves, that gives all to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. As we continue this morning, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, Lord, we thank you that you invite us into what you are doing. God, we ask that you would take the, the time, that you would take the tithes and the offerings that are given, and you would just, you would just use them to explode your kingdom. You'd use them for your glory and for your purposes. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen.
Good morning. Great to be in the house with you. Real quickly, I want to just make sure that you understand how huge, huge this week ahead is for VBS. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all remember VBS as kids? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, you remember, you know, grape juice and graham crackers and yarn and God. Remember making God's eye with popsicle stick and yarn? That's how you knew you were a Christian, if you could do that. Well, our VBS, as you can tell, is not your grandmother's VBS. It is going to be an amazing week, and we've got so, so many people who volunteer, give up their time, so many students who are helping lead children, and I just want to tell you, we would covet your prayers over this next week for the life change that's going to happen. There are a lot of kids who this week will become Christians, and their eternity will be changed, and I just want to... In advance, thank you for being that kind of church that hosts something like this, that prays for something like this, that provides something like this. It is a great, great week. Now, we know that a lot of parents drop their kids off at VBS because it gives them a break, but we think God can use that too. So we're very excited to see what God's going to do this coming week and just want you to be in prayer for it and thinking about it wherever you go and whatever you do this coming week, if you would. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's really interesting as the economy is a little, you know, unsteady, interest rates are rising, and people aren't really sure what's coming around the next curve, there are some opportunities that are starting to present themselves, even in commercial real estate. Now, this is funny because a lot of places, commercial real estate is struggling. People are not coming back to the offices like they did before the pandemic. Uh, there's a lot, you know, the cost of capital is very expensive if you want to do something new, on and on and on, but there is a new opportunity that is out there in data centers, these massive, massive warehouses that store reams and reams and reams and reams of data, especially with the explosion in artificial intelligence and all of the data-driven technologies that are out there, all of the data that we give up to people all the time when we're scrolling and scanning and letting China look into our lives and our country. It's a, it's a really exciting time. Well, these data centers actually are a great opportunity because they're these massive buildings, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet under HVAC, they cost anywhere between seven and $800 million a piece to build, and they're not building them fast enough. They can't get them built. But what I learned recently is that there is one primary requirement, one criterion for where they place these data centers. You've always heard in real estate that it's location, location, location. Well, for these data centers, they are utterly dependent upon a reliable energy grid. They have to be connected to a reliable power source because if these data centers were to ever crash, they would absolutely cripple hospitals, schools, businesses, local governments, on and on. Everybody who is dependent on the data that they store in these massive centers. They have to have reliable power. Now, even though they're connected to reliable power grids, they have redundant power backup. They have generators, and I'm not talking about the kind of generators that we take camping that you can buy at Academy. I'm talking about diesel generators that have to be able to run for 36 hours, and for them to have enough fuel to operate these huge, massive generators, they have to keep on hand about $7 million worth of diesel fuel for 36 hours. That is unbelievable, but great 
Power requires reliability. You have to have reliable power. Reliable power is really how a lot of us kind of sleep at night with, with a peace of mind. The fact of the matter is that peace and power have always been united. Peace and power, power and peace always go together. The Bible says that the peace of God, God who is all-powerful, omnipotent, that power, that peace transcends all understanding. That, that peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when it says that it transcends all understanding, that doesn't mean that it is irrational peace. That means that it is supra-rational. It is above and beyond rational thought. It is beyond our capacity to comprehend. If you spent the rest of your life trying to understand it, you could not come up with a mathematical formula. It is supra-rational because it's supernatural. It comes from outside of nature, outside of us. It comes only from God himself, this connection between peace and power. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face and Sunday morning enthusiasm in your heart, tell your neighbor, get your peace on. That was terrible. I mean, this is the 11 o'clock service. Y'all been drinking coffee for four hours. Let's try that one more time like you really mean it. Tell, turn to the same neighbor and convince them this time. Get your peace on. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Now, we are continuing this series, The God of Power. The God of Power. Now, you'll notice on the logo behind me, it's a capital G and a lowercase g. I had a sixth grade young man stopped me after the last service, and he said, I want to ask you a question. I was like, all right, bring it. I didn't say that. He goes, why is it capital G and a lowercase g on the screen behind you? And I went, ding, 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 ding. You win the prize today. It's because we worship the God of power, capital G. He is the author of all power. And there's no power in the world that God is not above and beyond. But at the same time, in our own lives, isn't it true that sometimes we can come to make a little g idol out of power? We, we like control. We, we, like to, we like to be the arbiter of power in our own lives. And in that case, power has become a little g God, an idol in our lives. So we did this logo very much on purpose because every single one of us has a choice to make. Are we going to worship the God of power or are we going to try to make a God of power? Those are our choices day in and day out. And throughout this series, we're using a very, very particular section of Scripture, Psalm 120 verses through Psalm 134. It's known collectively as the Songs of of ascent. These are the songs, these are the hymns that Israel would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem for three festivals every year. And as they were making their way to Jerusalem from the surrounding area, they were climbing geographically, topographically, but they were also ascending in worship. They were being called up to worship. Today we're in Psalm 122 that speaks directly to this subject of power and the power of 
peace, particularly as God's people gather to worship. They're, they're singing and lifting up the God of power as they are gathering to worship him. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 4. I'm going to ask you to read the highlighted words that are on the screen behind me as we read Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. Let's go. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates. Oh, Jerusalem. Say it again. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Now, the psalmist, the, the hymn writer, is saying, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I, I was glad when they said, let's go to church. One paraphrased translation of the Old Testament says, my heart leaped for joy when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, you have to understand the context here. Prior to this writing, the history of Israel was a long and checkered past. They had spent 430 years in Egyptian slavery, 430 years of generational mindset that had to be shifted, had to be changed. They were still the people of God, but they had allowed themselves to be enslaved in Egypt. God delivered them. Moses leads them out of Egypt. They spent 40 years then wandering in the wilderness. Now, during that 40 years, they had the tabernacle. The tabernacle was their temporary place of worship. It, it, was, it was mobile church. They would set it up. They would tear it down depending on where they were and when they were traveling. But here, Jerusalem is now the epicenter of Israel's relationship, covenant relationship with God. Jerusalem represents the culmination and the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham over 500 years before in the promised land. And so it says, oh, Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem is a powerful, powerful word it says itself. It is a contraction of two Hebrew words. It is Jeru, Yeru, and Shalem, Shalom. Jeru, Shalem, Shalom. Jerusalem, they will know peace. They will see peace. I want you to think about what that means to a nation that has been enslaved, that has been wandering in the wilderness, that has been at war as they have claimed and occupied the promised land. Now, all of a sudden, Jerusalem represents the peace, the shalom of God himself as they experience it, as they worship him. And that word shalom is really, really important. Don't ever, 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 ever fall into the trap of underselling shalom. We think of peace as the absence of conflict. They signed a peace treaty and the war ended. That's not shalom. Shalom goes so, so much deeper. Here's what shalom means. Shalom means wholeness, completeness, and flourishing. Complete flourishing in covenant relationship with God. One scholar says that it is all aspects of wholeness that result from God's will being completed in us. That's shalom. It is much more profound, much deeper than just the absence of conflict. That's a part of it. 
But there's this idea of wholeness and completeness. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in the room right now, how many of us are romantics? How many of us are sentimental types? Go ahead and raise your hand. Hold your hands up. Be proud. Be proud. I'm holding my hand up. I'm much more sentimental than Julie. Julie, she doesn't cry. She didn't cry when our kids were born. She dried, cried when we dropped them off at college. It's the first time Emily ever saw her cry, give or take. I, on the other hand, am much more sentimental, much, much more likely. And, and now, I've always been that way. I remember when I was in seventh grade. Seventh grade, I had a girlfriend. How many had a boyfriend and girlfriend in seventh grade? Okay. I remember telling my seventh grade girlfriend, I love you. <laughs> I did. And, and by the way, I meant it, Jack. I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I was like, look. <laughs> but I think about that in seventh grade. Fast forward, Julie and I this summer celebrate 32 years of marriage. When I look at Julie and now I say, I love you, Man, I, 32 years, I, I remember the birth of Emily. I remember the birth of Joe. I remember, like, having two toddlers under the age of three as we started a church from scratch. I remember Julie gathering them up and going to Kinko's. Remember Kinko's? <laughs> to, to make the, the, the coloring pages for LHC Kids. And, and she would... She would put Joe in a stroller and give Emily a bag of goldfish and say, keep him quiet and occupied. Mommy's got to work for an hour. I remember that time that she looked me in the eye and she said, I think you may have married the wrong person. And, and she meant it and I knew she meant it and we had to work through that. I think about all of the years. I think about the, the blessings God has given us. I think, about, I think about having two more bonus kids added to our family that we never even saw coming. I think about the blessing that is Lake Hills Church that we get to be a part of. I think about the fun. I think about the excitement, the passion. I think about the, the trips that we take without kids now. Somebody help me preach. I just, I, all of those things now, when I say I love you, Julie, it, it carries a lot more weight than I love you in seventh grade carry. That is the best contrast I can give you to describe the difference between peace and shalom. Shal say shalom. 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 Wholeness, completeness, integrity, complete flourishing and thriving, prospering in everything God created you to be, everything, every bit of who he created you to be. That is Shalom. And so the psalmist understands that community worship provides a framework for peace. Community worship provides a framework for shalom in the following ways. I'm going to give you seven, seven facets of shalom that come when we gather together as the family of faith. Number one, community worship provides belonging it gives us a place of belonging. Here, do, do me a favor. Look around the room real quick. Just, just look around the room. Don't, don't lock eyes with anybody or connect, but just look around the room at the range of people who are here. Just take a look around. Take, take a second. Kind of crane your neck. Look, look around. 
Now, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you're not paying attention. Look, look at the people in this room. God is funny. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been over the last seven days, no matter what you've done, in community worship, there is a place to belong. Israel understood this. Because of their covenant relationship with God, they belong. No matter what their profession was, no matter what, no matter what their idiosyncrasies or eccentricities or just plain craziness was, they had a place to belong. Community worship gives us a place of belonging. It gives us a sense of order. There is a sense of order. When you prioritize community worship, as Israel did, it creates order in your week. It creates order. Number three, it gives us a grounding. We, we are grounded in the word of God. We are grounded in truth because of who God is. Listen, our world has lost its mind in so many ways. You, you just have to be awake for about 15 minutes tomorrow morning and pick up on that. But you remember, together we came back to the word of God. Together, we were grounded in that truth, in, in what reality really is versus what the world says it is. And that's incredibly, incredibly peace-giving. It's a great reminder. When we gather together, we're reminded, oh, look, I... I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm reminded of who God is, and therefore I'm reminded of who I am. Self-awareness always begins with God-awareness. You cannot understand or know yourself apart from God. You can know yourself a little bit, but not the way he made you to be. Also, it's rest. Rest. Rest is really crucial for peace. One of the things that we get to do when we gather together for worship, we, we get to just sit. Everybody just kind of take a deep breath. Just, what else did you do this past week? What appointment did you have where you drove somewhere specifically to rest? If you did, you probably felt a little bit guilty about it. Here we, we worship together that rest. The word Sabbath is a verb that means to rest intentionally for the purposes of worship, rest. Also, community worship gives us accountability. I know that doesn't sound really fun, but I want you to follow this. Accountability is a good thing. Accountability gives us a sense of peace in, in my life. My accountability begins with Christ. Close second would be Julie. And Julie don't let nothing slide. Just trust me when I tell you. This past week, she told me we, had, we were in, at home just minding our own business. And she said, oh, hey, I, I meant to tell you. You remember that conversation we were having with so-and-so? You said this. I think it landed differently than you meant it to land. And you may not want to say that again. My initial knee-jerk reaction. Well, let me tell you what I meant. You misunderstood me. It didn't land. They were fine. I didn't say that because I like to stay married. But I thought, okay, Julie's saying this because she really thinks it and she loves me, so she's trying to help. So I kind of calmed down internally, privately. I thought about it for a minute, maybe two. I thought, you know what, she's right. Don't you hate it when they're right? 
And I said, you know what? I, I really, I know, I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I, will, I will stay away from that. I wanted to continue to explain where she was wrong, but that wouldn't have been helpful. She was giving me the accountability. I've got friends in my life. I, I know Bill Jones, who's a member of our board of directors. He preaches here on occasion. Bill is somebody who holds me accountable. David Hughes. These are people in my life. My daughter, Emily, believe me, she'll tell me how it is, for which I'm grateful almost all the time. But here's the thing. I know because I have these people in my life, if I started to get off track, if I started to veer away from God's best in my life, these people would let me know. It's kind of like it's an audit. It's a character audit. Now, I know audit doesn't sound fun at all, but follow this. As the pastor of the church, I am responsible, I'm accountable for the health and welfare of the church in every way, including financially. Now, I was a communications major. I didn't, I, I hated, I took one accounting class and felt God calling me out of the business school. But I know I'm responsible for that, so we hire a skilled and gifted staff in that arena to manage the dollars and the resources that God entrusts to us. Every year we pay tens of thousands of dollars for an audit. They go through our books, they go through our processes, and every single year when we get a clean bill of health and a big green flag waving over our books, Pastor Max sleeps a little better at night. The accountability brings peace. When you, if you don't have accountability in your life, forget peace, it's not gonna happen. You have to have accountability. And then the last thing that community worship gives us is unity. Unity. It binds us together. Again, we look at how different we are. We look at our different backgrounds, our different stages of life, our different seasons of life, the, the hurt that you've been through, the hurt that I've been through, and we are united in Christ. I think about Bill Jones. Bill good friend of mine. Bill's a little bit older than I am. He's an attorney. I'm a pastor. You don't get any more different than that. Bill, Bill is a black man. I have never been black. Um, I went to the University of Texas. Bill went to a little junior college over in College Station. Um, what else? We, we could, oh, I know Bill grew up in Caldwell, Texas. His dad was a farmer and a rancher. I grew up in the burbs of Houston. We could not be more different, and yet, and yet, in Christ, we are absolutely united. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female. What that means is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are united in Christ, and we, we're reminded of that. We're, we're called into that when we gather and worship together. That's what community worship provides for us. But the psalmist wasn't through. Look at verses five through nine. Verses five through nine. It says, and again, I want you to read the highlighted words with me. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's just talk about judgment, shall we? We'll come back to that. These are the thrones of the dynasty of David. Read it with me. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. 
may all who love this city prosper. Oh, Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given. Judgment means setting straight. It means making right that which was wrong. The judgment of God is never wrong. God doesn't make a bad call. How many times in our lives do we say, well, you know, that was a judgment call. And, and I usually, I've usually said that after I've messed something up. Like, well, it was a judgment call. Don't judge me on my judgment call. God never has that problem. God knows when he makes a judgment, it is always right. And the judgment of God sets things right. It makes that which is crooked straight. It's why he said in an earlier verse, he said, the seamless walls cannot be breached. It, it is perfect. It is square. It is plumb. The judgment of God. And, and this word prosperity is really important. And it can be dangerous. I know this is not prosperity gospel. Don't, don't get fired up about it. But prosperity is a real thing. In the context here, it means serenity, security, and ease because of prosperity. We're, we're, we are at ease. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, says, this word prosperity has nothing to do with insurance policies or large bank accounts or stockpiles of weapons. The root meaning is leisure, the relaxed stance of one who knows that everything is all right because God is over us, with us, and for us in Jesus Christ. It is the security of being at home in a history that has a cross at its center. That's prosperity, biblically, to be at ease. I shared with y'all a few weeks ago that our daughter Emily had gotten engaged and was getting married, and it's been a, it's been a really, really fun journey to watch this relationship take root and take hold. We, we liked Jordan the first time we ever met him. He's super easy to be around. He's funny. He's very sarcastic. He fits in really well with our family. He makes fun of Emily at appropriate places. We were like all in. But as the relationship progressed, as, as he kind of started to hang around a little longer, a little longer, a little longer, Julie and I kind of started going, okay, do we really like him? It's one thing to like him to go to dinner. It's another one to think about having Christmas with him the rest of our lives. And then we noticed something. We noted, first, he, he checks all of the boxes you pray for as a parent. He loves the Lord. He believes the Bible is the word of God. He loves Emily. He is good to her. He is good for her. All of those things. Check, 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 check. But then we notice this. Emily, since Jordan has been around, Emily is more Emily than she's ever been. Emily is more at ease than I've ever known her. 
And when we saw that, I'm all in. We're even going to pay for some of the wedding. It's amazing. (laughs) We're so excited because of the serenity. Because of the peace that we see because he's around. This is the power of peace, the power of shalom to be who God created you to be, to be at ease, at ease with yourself, at ease with the world, at ease with God. So what do we do? Two things. Number one, pray for shalom for the community of faith. It's right there. It says, pray for peace in Jerusalem. Pray for shalom in your community of faith. The people that you worship with, the people that you do Bible study with, the people who are in your small group, the people with whom you serve, pray for their shalom. When you you know people are praying for you, when you are praying for people by name, that is when you're part of a community. You pray for the shalom of your Jerusalem. You pray for the shalom of your people, that they would know the fullness, the wholeness, the completeness of God. You pray for that. But then, number two, you also pursue shalom for the community of faith. You, you don't just pray for it and go, go, God. No, no, no. You pursue, what does he say at the very end? I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. You are actively pursuing shalom. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. You and I will never, ever, 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 ever drift into peace. If you see someone who is truly at peace, you are looking at someone who has exerted enormous power over their own lives, the power to discipline their desires, the power to manage their mind and their emotions, the power to make choices that produce peace. By the same token, if you know someone who is not at peace, someone who is striving to control people, who who maybe is in a position of authority and they lord it over those people and they're like, I'm in charge, I'm the boss. By definition, you know that that is a person who is out of control. That is someone who has not exerted. I don't care how big and bad they appear or how together they seem to be. Anyone who is striving and trying to assert control in their heart of hearts in places they don't want to go or let anybody else go, you are looking at a scared, fearful, frightened child. And how tragic is a frightened child, no matter what their age. God says, my power produces the peace that passes all perception. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who gives you peace. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. Not as the world gives, but as The Father gives. Now, that's a bold claim. That is a bold claim. Jesus said, I will give you peace that nothing else will touch. 
That's why it kind of always surprises me when people will say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. Well, not really. He, he, he claimed to be God. <laughs> he, he said, I will give you peace that nothing else will give you. So he either is, which means he's much more than a good teacher. He's the son of the living God. Or he was lying about it, and he's not a good teacher. A good teacher tells you the truth. Now, he, he is a good teacher, but he is so much more than that. Romans chapter 4, the beginning of Romans chapter 5, reads like this, talking about Jesus. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. The power, this same power that raised him from the dead is at work within you, the Bible says. You who follow Christ. He died on the cross because of my sin, because of your sin. And then the power of God raised him from the dead with the promise of new life for anyone who would follow him. Now, if he could raise Jesus from the dead, Tell me what part of your life is beyond the scope of his power. When you start to understand, when you start to experience the peace that passes understanding, you realize that it's, it's produced in the power of God. And he's got you. He's got me. The power of God to overcome anything. Loss, grief, sorrow, addiction, brokenness, estrangement, sin. It's all within his grasp. It's all within his reach. when we surrender it to him. When we surrender to the greatest power there is, the power of God. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Jesus rose from the dead with the promise of new life for anyone who would follow him. So that tells us it is a conscious choice, a decision. We are made right in God's sight by faith, by choosing to trust him relationally. If you're here today and you've never taken that step, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's not our invitation. It's God's invitation. 
We just get to be the letter carrier. It begins when you pray a prayer of commitment, of surrender, confessing your sins and claiming the amazing grace and the forgiveness of God. If that's where you are and you would like to take that step today, then we invite you just, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just pray right where you are, silently, from your heart to God's. Just say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need the forgiveness of my sin. I need your shalom, your wholeness, your completeness, your peace. And so I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back, in order to claim your forgiveness and your grace. Jesus, I choose to trust you more than I trust myself. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, then as a church, we want you to know that this is just the beginning for you. This is where it starts, a relationship with Christ, and we get to help with, with where it goes from here. We would love to give you something today. We have a new believer's packet. It's got a Bible, a reading program for you to get started in this relationship with God. You can pick that up on your way out the door. If you would, just stop at the hub in the lobby. There'll be people there who would love to give you that. Or if you have questions about it, you can use the QR card that's in the seat back in front of you and just say, I've got questions about what it means to be a Christian. But for us as a church family, this is why we exist. There is nothing more important than this moment in your life and in others like it. And we want to help. So as our heads are bowed for just another moment, I want to ask you, if you prayed that prayer just now, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head. And as you hold your hand up in the air, I just want you to know that's just a, a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And as a church, as a community of faith with you, we celebrate that. We honor that. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.